Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome on today's episode. We have Jada Labrec. This lady is your number one lady if you want to know about how getting your shoulders, your hips, everything back in. She's a complimentary therapist, massage, you name it. It's like the dictionary of getting your, your body fixed. And hello, welcome to the show, Jada. How are you today? Thank you, Erin. Yeah, I'm very good. That's a very generous title. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was listening to a presentation that you gave there a while back ago and you were showing us about shoulders and everything. Like, that's the way it should be, you know, the mechanics of the body. You just you pop one finger here, one finger there and boom, boom, boom. And there you go, you know. Yeah, not a lot of people will teach you how to take care of yourself when it comes to the anatomy. I find that very strange, but it's like they want you to go to them for the information and they won't send you home with anything like, oh, this is how it works and this is how you do it, you know? I hate that as a massage when you go for massage they fix you and they send you home and then two weeks later back again it's like just tell me the homework so I can do it myself you know yeah yeah exactly that's what that's what what I like to do I usually tell people you know I'll give them like three or four different ways of taking care of themselves afterwards and I'll say to them you know that's your homework whether you choose to do it or not is up to you but I think it'll help you and or I know it will help you and it's up to you most people will forget to be honest but I think just that you make the effort to teach them people will really appreciate that and is that your common problem you see people when they come to you for massage or any sort of complimentary therapy is that the issue as in like they don't do their homework yeah you know it's not always their fault after a massage people are prone to what is called massage brain which is when they're like high after a massage so they don't always always remember or even absorb what i've said to them because they're just so like floaty and (laughs) but i don't know i like to educate people that way like when they feel that little like pain in their neck or if it's in their low back they have the tools to work on it and if it's persistently getting worse then yeah they can 
come back to me or they can go to another healthcare practitioner. I will often refer people to other types of natural therapy that I think might suit their injury better, for instance. Like, you know, if somebody comes to me with sciatica, have you ever heard of sciatica? Yeah, I have. It's, uh, you have it? No, I haven't had it, but I know people who have it and it's like it's like paralyzing your, your whole movement in some way, you know? It's awful. Like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And uh, massage therapy and other kind of physical therapies that manipulate the tissue can actually make it worse because it's, it's nerve inflammation. So acupuncture is actually the only thing that I would recommend for sciatica. But a lot of people don't know that. So they will try and go to the chiropractor and the physiotherapist and the massage therapist, and it might just make it worse. It could potentially make it better, but acupuncture is the only one that I found within a couple treatments, it's gone forever. So it's stuff like that. You're probably doing this a long time. Your toolkit is kind of quite broad in some way. Yeah, I've been doing this for like five years, which I guess most people wouldn't say that's a very long time. But I've also been an athlete most of my life, and I know I'm very familiar with pain and strain and injuries. So I feel like all those years of experience kind of tie in to my years of professional experience, if that makes sense. What sport did you do? I was a competitive swimmer for eight years. I did triathlons like you. I did gymnastics and figure skating when I was very young. And throughout school, I did volleyball and cross country and track and field. What made you take up all these awesome sports? I wasn't allowed to not to. (laughs) My parents insisted that I had extracurriculars. They didn't want me sitting in front of the TV or in front of a computer. And so I had to have at least one extracurricular sport at any given time. When I was a competitive swimmer, you know, like that was outside of school. But in school, there were sports that I was interested in, like volleyball, for instance. I love playing volleyball. So I did that. I would play volleyball after school and then right after that, go to swim practice. Yeah, that's kind of why I got into all those. I don't regret it. But uh, when I was a teenager, I didn't love it. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Why is that? You know, when you're just too cool for school. (laughs) You'd rather be uh, talking to your friends or talking to boys. It just, uh, (laughs) yeah, I thought I had better things to be doing than swimming laps in a pool for three hours. I think when you're a teenager, it's like, what's the point? Hang around with boys or girls or swim thousands of laps and you probably go for the, the opposite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather hang out with my friends. I'll tell you, like, I'd say that something like swimming, I'm sure you know this yourself, it's very meditative. So it probably did me a world of good being an angsty teenager and having an outlet like that, you know? It balances the high hormonal with the meditative water. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, But yeah, I I used to be a bit of a troublemaker in my swim team. You know, at, at a certain age, I just stopped trying and would just talk my friend's ears off and my coach would be yelling at me and you know Jada if it wasn't for us you'd be on a couch eating potato chips yeah you're probably right <laughs> do you pull pranks or are you kind of a, a jokey person in, in your team I wouldn't say a jokey person and it wasn't pranks it was just more so like I don't care about this you know I'm too cool for this I have better things to be doing than being here <laughs> I'm glad to have grown out of that it's very uh, selfish and self-centered we always think at that age, I'm too cool for school or too cool for whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's actually the people who did those things that were the cool ones when I'm looking back on it, you know? Yeah. 
I, I totally agree when we look back it's like ah, oh, this happened that happened but the cool kids are the ones you look up and sometimes they end up in cool places and sometimes they don't yeah they're the ones doing things and being somebody other than just you know some brat who hangs out outside and you know in big groups with a bunch of teenagers being loud and rowdy probably drinking some stolen alcohol <laughs> from their parents <laughs> I know you live in Galway but you don't sound like you're from Ireland and Galway where are you from? Mm-mm. no I'm from Toronto Canada uh, have you ever been? no I haven't I heard it's supposed to be gorgeous in the summer months yes absolutely <laughs> the like eight months of winter forget it just don't even bother like January, February is pretty dismal. I remember one year, a few years ago, in January, the entire month of January, there were 18 hours of sunlight altogether. And uh, I was a bike messenger for about four years. And I don't know, every winter I would ask myself, why do I do this? But then summer would come around and it would be like, oh yeah, this is why I do this. <laughs> you know, like in the summer it can be like California and in the winter it can be like Helsinki. <laughs> How did you manage delivering all those messages in the middle of freezing cold and snow? You just kind of do it. It becomes a different sport. It becomes like skiing on your bicycle more than just riding a bicycle. But it's actually a lot of fun because most of the sane people are not riding their bikes in the wintertime. So you have the road to yourself, I mean, along with the cars. I don't know, that's when you kind of earned your stripes. Like in the community of bike messengers, you really showed that you like were tough stuff if you showed up on the rainiest days or when there was a snowstorm. Rain or shine, if you were there, that's when people were like, yep, I'll hang out with her. But otherwise, if you were a fair weather, that people just saw you as taking their work, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does indeed. I get the feeling that you're like you're showing your mental grit in, in, have, in being an athlete very young and delivering messages in the middle of minus 12 or minus 20 sliding across uh, Toronto, delivering it in some way. There was one time uh, it was hovering around zero degrees and uh, it had hailed and then uh, the hail had melted and frozen. So it created this like perfect sheet of black ice like you couldn't see it. And I took a left turn and fell and slid for maybe 20 feet. I remember sliding for so long thinking, am I going to stop? And I slid right underneath an 18-wheeler truck. So I had to, like, push my bike out from under the truck and, like, try to crawl out from under the truck. But everything was ice, like, perfectly slippery ice. Yeah, it was things like that that you'd experience every day uh, as a bike messenger in Toronto. Oh, you forget that, you know, when you live in one country, it's this way, and you live in another country, it's this is how we all survive in some way. Yeah, you know, Ireland, people tell me that Ireland is a rainy country. It's really not compared to back home. <laughs> like it rains way more back home, but nobody's talking about it because it's so cold over there and it snows so much that that's the notable weather to talk about. It's funny, the Irish obsession of weather and probably that was the first thing you noticed when you came over the first thing, the obsession with weather. Then Canada's like, it's snow, it rains, it's sun, that's it. Yeah. Actually, when I uh, moved here, the first three weeks I was here, it was like 30 degrees and sunny every day. It was like two years ago. It was the most beautiful summer that apparently anybody had seen in, since the 70s. And I just thought to myself, like, what is this magical place that the sun doesn't set until midnight, basically? And it's like 30 degrees and sunny. And people kept telling me, don't get used to this. Like, don't get used to it. Sure enough, the first day I paid my uh, rent and deposit, it started to rain and then didn't stop. <laughs> 
How did your dad and your mom influence you in some way as a, in growing up? Ooh, uh, I tell you, my mom taught me a world of things by way of reverse psychology. She's a very particular person and uh, only likes very particular things not very open-minded to trying new things and so that really taught me to push my boundaries and try as many things as I could and you know if a food like creeped me out try it because who knows you might like it even sports like I remember for Mother's Day I once got my mom rollerblades she tried them on once and never again so you know I always tried to do the sports that you know seemed difficult or yeah like I said tried the foods that seemed weird so she definitely taught me by way of that She's also a very strong, independent woman and uh, knows how to tell people where to go. So I definitely picked up that skill. If I need to, I can stand up for myself. I'll tell you that much. And um, my dad, he was an athlete his entire life as well, except he wasn't didn't have the privilege of having parents that supported that ambition. So he always pushed me to, you know, chase my goals and be the best that I could be and pursue like pursue my potential. Potential is a word that I've heard way too much in my life. And he's also a very hard worker. He taught me that if you drink the night before you go to work, whether you're hungover or not, you better show up, you know, stuff like that. A lot of very uh, solid values, being a good human being. So that's that's how they influenced me. I don't think they necessarily love how I chose to play out my life in certain ways, certain decisions I've made. I don't think they really support them, but for the most part, I think they're, they're proud of me with how I'm pursuing my goals. Yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Probably having a dad who was, who was an athlete, he could kind of relate when you were into the sports of don't do this, don't do that. But you probably as a, as, as a teenager saying, dad, no, I want to do it this way. And that's how we learn as, as individuals in some way. Well, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I was mature enough to say that per se, but, uh, you know, my dad, even though he worked full time, always made a priority of showing up to my practices and going to my meets and like, you know, taking notes for every race that I had. And he'd be like, oh, like you're leaving gas in the tank. You gotta, you gotta give it your everything. And like, you know, try breathing every three so that you're more streamlined. Like he'd just be like paying so close attention. I think he really thought I was going to end up in the Olympics, you know? But my biology did not allow for that, you know. I was actually very tall for a kid until I was like 10 or 11. And then I stopped growing and everybody started growing. So after that, I just kind of became very mediocre. But yeah. When you have we kids, we, we have this massive uh, growth and our height and it stops and everyone catches up. It's like, I'm no longer tall. <laughs> Yeah, like because of how fast I was growing and how tall I was, my mom was like, oh, she's going to be a model. And like, you know, my mom put me into this like modeling thing when I was young. And uh, it scared me so much that I had a tantrum before like my name was called. And she, instead of letting me just like not go up on stage, she picked me up and put me like, I had my arms and my legs wrapped around her. And she walked me up this catwalk and back down because she just like so badly wanted me to be a model it was just like no that is not what's gonna happen <laughs> so after that she just kind of left me alone and let me do my sports thing but yeah I don't know it's at age 10 I just kind of stopped growing and uh it was kind of disappointing because like oh you know you think like oh I'm gonna be so tall and like it's gonna be so great and no I'm like five foot one been the same height since I was 10 
Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was like a six foot five. <laughs> I have like, I have cousins that are that tall, you know, even my brother, like I ate all my vegetables growing up. Okay. Like I did the, I ate all the food that I was supposed to eat. My brother, he ate like potatoes, meat, bread, and butter. That was his diet. So I think they're telling you lies with this. Eat all your vegetables. BS. <laughs> Because he ate butter out of the package. <laughs> and he's, he's very tall and he's also very intelligent. So he obviously did something right. It sounds like your parents nurtured you in a way that let you allow your potential to go wherever way it went. But I'd say it was tough as well to say this is what I'm doing as well in the sense of in who you are. Yeah, mostly when it comes to, I guess, like appearance. My parents are very traditional. They're mostly Italian. And so, you know, one time I cut my hair really short and my dad cried because I'd cut all my hair off because he thinks that women should have long hair. And then when my hair started growing back out, he goes, oh, thank God. I thought you were a lesbian. And it was like, excuse me? What does my the length of my hair have to do with whether I like women or not? Like, oh my God. It's just in mentalities like that, you know? And like, you know what spacers are? Like in your yeah. ears? Yeah. I started to space my ears when I was a teenager. And my mom threw an absolute tantrum over it. She's not okay with piercings. But tattoos? Yeah, go for it. Get as many tattoos as you want. So like little holes in, in the face or whatever, in the body. No, no, don't do that. But like ink in your skin permanently? Sure, go for it. But then I'll have my grandmother who will see one of my new tattoos and she'll be like, oh, Jada, like you've ruined yourself. You used to be so beautiful. And I'll tell her like, oh, no, no, that's always been there. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, my family's always been a very harsh critic of me when it comes to appearances and, and how I choose to express myself. Was it hard growing up where your parents had a certain appearance of you and you wanted to show this is who I am? Um, I mean, I kind of just did it anyway. And like, I don't, I think that's a very first world problem. So I wouldn't say it was necessarily difficult. It was just uh, resistance. And I think any good parent should probably not encourage their kids to fill themselves with tattoos and piercings. Mind you, hair grows back. So let your kids do whatever they want to their hair when they're a teenager, because that's pretty much the only acceptable time to have like a hot pink mohawk or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, you know how it is when you're a teenager. You just want to push your parents' buttons. And well, I don't know. Did you do that as a teenager? Yeah, I, we did, but I think all teenagers do that. When I be the rebel, yeah. rebel that comes out and, and tests boundaries in a sense of, you know, the rebel. And that's, I think, every human on this planet is, that's what happens naturally, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, and like, I feel bad for these next wave of, uh, of parents and their soon-to-be teenagers or even the teenagers now because like I feel like every generation pushes it a bit farther you know like the last generation of like teenagers or like I guess I'm, I'm not the last generation of teenagers now but like you know we're all kind of loading ourselves up with piercings and tattoos and it's like okay so what's the next frontier so you know people are getting implants of like horns and stuff like that and I saw this one girl that like amputated a piece of her finger and carries it in a little vial like like, teens are doing some weird stuff these days, you know? Tell us about your first tattoo. My first tattoo was, uh, it's inspired by Karl Marx, 
who I studied or learned about in philosophy class. And he had written this essay or this um, piece, this, I don't know how to call it, and a paper. It was very long. It's called The Opium of the People. And it talks about how, in his words, it was religion, but I kind of apply it to society as a whole. But he talks about how religion puts this chain around you and pulls you in a certain direction and says, this is what life is and this is how it has to be. And this is how you're going to be happy. But they cover this chain in all these imaginary flowers, okay? Or like these fake flowers. So it's like, oh, look how great this life is. You can get married and have kids and be a stay-at-home mom. And ooh, you can work until you're 60-something and then get a gold watch when you retire. And what Karl Marx says is to like take those fake flowers off of the chain, recognize what they're trying to sell to you as ideal, and recognize that you have this chain on your foot recognize that you are a slave to their system not so that you're like oh no i'm a slave and that's it and that's my life but instead recognize it so that you can work hard to break the chain off of yourself and go and gather the living flowers so it's kind of like make a life for yourself figure out what you want to do figure out what you think is beautiful what kind of life you think is valuable And so originally I had wanted the whole quote of of that piece on my back with seven flowers. But then when I found out how much that was going to cost me, I ended up just getting the last four words, gather the living flowers and one little flower with like seven seeds flying off in the distance, you know, as a like potential for the future. So that was was my first tattoo. I know tattoos hurt, but did you feel the pain of getting it done? Oh, absolutely. Whenever people say like, oh, but don't tattoos hurt? Yeah, you have to merit them, you know? (laughs) These people who put numbing cream, like, nah, man, that's not how it works. (laughs) I actually have a very good system now where I trade massage therapy for tattoos, which is awesome because being a massage therapist, it's something that a lot of people actually want, the service that they want. So uh, I just get clever with it and barter. So do you have tattoos all over your body or what? Yeah, I've got uh, between 20 and 25 for sure. Maybe more than 25. Actually, believe it or not, I got one yesterday. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have a good friend in Galway. She does some beautiful stuff. So uh, yeah, we've agreed to do an exchange of she's going to get five 90-minute massages from me for the tattoo that she did. And like when you have your whole body tattoos, are they kind of blending into each other or are they just separate? No, they're still separate. We're not there yet. Is the goal to have a whole a whole body filled with tattoos? No, I just happen to be running out of canvas space, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like for me, tattoos should be things that you want to remember forever because they're going to be there forever, right? So mostly they're, for me, they are lessons that I want to tell myself over and over and over again. And I find that like, you know, I kind of forget that they're there. But when somebody asks me like, oh, what's that? And then I'll say the story out loud. And so it kind of reminds me of that lesson. But usually it's also a lesson that that person needs to hear. Not always, but like sometimes they're like, oh, I I needed to hear that, you know? I don't believe in like tattooing names or dates or, you know, like silly things on myself. It has to have a significance. When you're thinking of an idea of a tattoo, how do you find find the idea or design or concept of the tattoo you want? 
typically if it's um i guess whether it's some a memory i want to hold on to or if it's a lesson i conceptualize it into an image or like for instance this one right uh, i designed that by myself and what i wanted to tell myself was that like no matter how difficult my mother can be, I need to always respect her. It is, uh, it's the infinite egg, right? So that, it reminds me that like, to be a part of creation, I have to create life myself and that life is only possible through mother and baby. And she sacrificed a lot and she did a lot to bring me into this world and to raise me properly. So even when she's being difficult to remember that, but also eventually I too want to be a part of that creative process and, and raise my own children. So it's stuff like that, you know, that like, you know how they say uh, an image is worth a thousand words or a picture is worth a thousand words. That's why I believe in using symbols instead of just actual words tattooed on you. What is the most profound tattoo you have in your body? it's hard to say man (laughs) I'm pretty profound (laughs) Uh, I remember when I was 21 I was going through a lot of not good stuff between stuff happening in my family my parents were marriage was falling apart and I was the first person to know there's a lot of stuff it wasn't just that but I kept trying to run away and one day I left on my bicycle and just rode for like five hours north. I got to this highway and I knew that it was either I kept going or I had to turn back. That was kind of the dividing line. And all I had on me was a fanny pack with my driver's license, my cell phone, $20 and smoking paraphernalia. Okay, That's all I had on me. And I was just like, ah, sure, fuck it. I'm just going to go north. So I chose a particular road and kept riding north. And uh, I ended up finding what looked like a circus. And so I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to stop here. You know, the sun is setting. I need to stop somewhere. So I'm going to, maybe I'll talk to these people. They seem like like like-minded people. And it ended up being um, what was called Dome Country. And it was a bunch of domes, like cement domes, that an architect had made in the 60s and had sold to some hippies. And the hippies turned it into like a campsite, but they all live in the big domes and the little domes um, they would rent out as kind of like tents. And so I stopped in there and chatted to them and they were all like lovely older men in their 60s who had kids of their own and they were like, you know, your parents are probably worried about you. Call them, let them know where you are, but you can stay here for the night. So I slept on one of their couches and like I slept five feet from a tank that had a like a boa constrictor snake in it. And like there was just a very cool kind of apartment house, whatever you call it. The next morning, I woke up and continued to ride north and spent some time in a city called Barrie, Ontario. And the people were just so lovely. They were so friendly. It's a bit like Ireland. Like, I walked into the bar and people were smiling at me and, like, people would just talk to me even though I was a perfect stranger. One day, I met somebody who was from New Zealand and I just kind of started talking to him because I asked him for a cigarette. And I ended up hanging out with him and his friends that night. And I stayed at their house that night and then continued on north on my bicycle. And then some friends were heading up to a cottage and they ended up picking me up on the highway. It was just, it was such a beautiful weekend from no planning whatsoever and having very limited resources on me. So I wanted to remember that forever. And I wanted to tell myself that all the shit that I'd been going through was worth it if it meant it led up to that weekend and that the future could be anything I wanted because that weekend had happened. 
because I could just stumble into something so beautiful. So I tattooed my wrists so that I would never be hired in an office again. And uh, one of them means that the past was everything I needed and the future can be anything I want. There's a lot more to that story, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's probably the most profound one. Maybe. I don't know. Do you have any tattoos? No, I don't. I always like getting the idea, but it's like needles. It's like, ugh, you know, I'm afraid the ink would fade away and you're like, the design won't be there. But look, in the future, I might, you know. Well, I mean, like the technology is only getting better and artists are only getting better. Just don't tattoo like your palms or the bottom of your foot and it'll stick around. You know, <laughs> what are your ideas? Maybe I'll help you come up with a, a concept. Um, something I like to have the whole back done as a phoenix. Okay, well, you better start off with something small just to know what it's like, especially your back. Like you got your ribs there, you got your spine there. It's going to be painful, man. So what if you got like a phoenix just like on a forearm piece? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's an idea to play with, but it's the pain components like, uh, but we'll see, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you now, like, if you're, if you're going to start with that, you're in for a shock. Okay. Yeah, you'll probably have to do it in like three or four sessions. And after any tattoo that's like a few hours, you kind of feel like you've been hit by a bus after. Like, it's your body is just like, what just happened? And you need to like lie down and rest. And then you get what is called the tattoo flu sometimes uh, where your body just kind of like shuts down a bit and you get a bit sick because you've compromised your immune system by cutting this huge wound into yourself. <laughs> Backtrack a little bit in your story here, but you're 21. Did you go to college or did you go study something or were you just kind of enjoying the freedom of life at the time? I had gone to university. I was at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. The reason I chose that university was because it reminded me of Hogwarts, but it really actually doesn't. Now that I've seen some universities and buildings in Ireland, I definitely should have came here instead. But yeah, I had gone to university in McMaster. I studied communications and linguistics. And with linguistics, you have to learn a second language. So I thought, I'm going to study Mandarin, because why not? <laughs> so, Nihama. <laughs> yeah, I studied Mandarin for a year. And in the first semester, I got an A-. minus. In the second semester, I got a D-, minus because it was so difficult. So I ended up switching over from... Because like I had to do one language across four years. And I just thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do four years of Mandarin Chinese. So instead, I switched from communications and linguistics to communications and philosophy. And I ended up philosophizing my way out of university, you know, did the whole like ethics. And it was actually in my ethics exam that I instead of answering the questions, I wrote myself an essay using all the different theories that we had studied, wrote myself an essay on whether or not I was wasting my time, energy and money staying in university and if I should just leave and go pursue my dreams. And that's what it came down to was that I, I was. And so at by that point, I was writing sideways on the page. And it was like, well, on that note, I'm going for a bike ride. Peace, see ya. And that's how I ended my last university exam. And I got a zero on it, but uh, I contacted them about it. And they said, yeah, it was great. But uh, you got a zero because you didn't answer any of the questions. In studying philosophy, what who did you like reading? I feel like it was such a long time ago. Like I said, I took a lot of inspiration from Karl Marx. I had written one essay on Spinoza that I had gotten an A++ on. I'd never gotten an A++ in my life. And I got it on that paper. 
So I want to say that, but just because I got a good mark, not because I necessarily enjoyed that person's thoughts. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I smoked a lot of pot back then. <laughs> so I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but uh, yep. Like I said, I was going through a lot back then. Like my parents were splitting up and uh, I, I was on medication for depression. I had no ambition to do anything really at the time except for ride my bicycle. All I wanted to do was ride my bicycle and get paid to do it. So I moved to Toronto and became a bike messenger. You know, that was my dream at the time. It's interesting how you become this, like you're in Mandarin, then communication and philosophy, but your dream was to ride bike and send messages. It's so opposites of each other in some way, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I really don't think that we should pressure teenagers to go right into university. Yes, of course, they should do their leaving cert, their high school, whatever you call it, until they're 18. But then after that, they should work in the real world. They should get real world experience instead of just doing more school. Because for most people, I know for myself, school is like a cage. You know, you just wanted to be out of it. You wanted to be experiencing the real world. And so I think if we had the opportunity to, you know, get those like weird jobs or like, you know, do those boring administrative kind of roles or anything like that, I think we would see pretty quickly what we wanted from life and what we didn't want. You know, because I think a lot of people, they don't leave school and they do all these things to get this job that they actually don't have any ex real life experience in. And then they get there and they're like, oh shit, I don't want to do this. I don't want to sit at a desk from, you know, nine in the morning to five o'clock in the evening, if not longer. I don't want to be in an office all day, you know, stuff like that. They or their parents have spent all this time and money putting them through that education system to be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I think it would be much better if, you know, at 18 to maybe 22, you had to experience four different industries, let's say, right? And then from there, you could either pursue learning other things and actually, because in that time, you're figuring out who you are and what you like. Or, you know, maybe if there's a way that you can go travel and work abroad and just getting to know other people, seeing other cultures, seeing what the world is like, instead of just being stuck to a desk and a computer more and more, you know? What did bike messaging teach you? Hmm. Taught me a lot of things and probably nothing at all. <laughs> no, uh, it taught me the value of community. The bike messenger community was, was a really beautiful one before the, the corporate machine steamrolled it. You know, it was amazing. You knew, like, you would see your colleagues on the road. You'd cycle by them, you'd wave to them. When you didn't have work to do, you'd meet up with them and have a cigarette. It was a very real and raw group of people. They were kind of like, a lot of them were like borderline homeless, kind of just had enough money for rent, cigarettes and beer. So they're a very particular group of people. But it also taught me patience, being in traffic all the time. And what else? At some point, I was hit by a bus uh, in 2014. I was hit by a bus. So it taught me a lot about pain. Even just being a bike messenger, carrying different kinds of weight all the time, up and down hills and around the city. It shows you what you can actually do physically. Yeah, I would say those things. Like when you had that bus collision, did, did it affect you badly? I sprained my ankle, damaged my SI joint, which is where your the bottom of your spine, your sacrum meets your hip bone. That's supposed to be a very rigid structure. Mine moves. I herniated my L4, L5 disc. I 
damaged my rotator cuff. I fractured my sternum and two ribs, and I had kind of displaced my jaw and had uh, clicking in my jaw that wasn't there before. I think that's all my injuries, yeah. It must have took you a long time to recover after that accident. Uh, it was about 18 months uh, of physiotherapy and kind of physical rehabilitation. We were talking about sciatica earlier. I had six months um, of sciatica straight. And like I said, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It is like having a hot knife being dragged through your leg constantly, day in, day out. No matter your, whether you're sitting, standing, lying down, it is constantly there. So I definitely learned a lot about pain. But I think it needed to happen for me to understand other people's pain working as a healthcare provider. Because once you've been that miserable person who's been in chronic pain for months on end, like you can't understand a person's foul mood until you've actually been there yourself when it comes to pain. Yeah, it wasn't pleasant. It's interesting how our, our life experiences educate us about the area of work we want to do in some way. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Luckily, I was already in school for massage therapy. So one thing I could recommend to people is if you really like massage, go to school for massage therapy because you get massaged every day. It's part of the learning process. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that really helped my recovery. I think if I didn't have that, I would have atrophied very quickly. I was used to being on a bicycle every day. And then here I was all of a sudden having to take the bus to school. And if I wasn't having to get up and go every day, and if I just like kind of resigned to staying in bed or staying on my couch because I couldn't move, it's hard to say where things would have gone. But because I was already in school, I had to be in school. Otherwise I would have lost my grant and I would have had to pay for everything out of pocket immediately. I had to get back to school. So within five days of my accident, I was back up and, and going. I don't even remember what I'm answering right now. <laughs> like, why did you go and do massage therapy? I did it because I met a security guard at the restaurant that I worked at at the time. Toronto's a very expensive city, so you can't survive on just one job alone. And so I was a bike messenger and I was bartending and waitressing at this uh, restaurant called Sneaky D's. It's the coolest place you'll go in Toronto. You know, waiters and bartenders and staff are tattooed and pierced and there's heavy metal playing on the sound system. And it's like all day breakfast and Tex-Mex. It's an awesome place. The security guard sat down beside me one night. It was four o'clock in the morning and I was eating my breakfast dinner or dinner breakfast. And uh, I said to him just on a whim, I was like, hey, Rob, what do you do outside of being a security guard? And he goes, I'm a massage therapist. And like, I was just completely caught off guard. It was just like, you, you're a closet of a man. You're huge and you're a massage therapist. And he's like, yeah, it's great. Like, you know, I can make all my own hours. I can take as many days off as I want. I can have as many tattoos as I want. It's no bother. So I was like, yep, that's what I need. I need a job like that. I was in a lot of pain from just my wear and tear of my daily life. And so I went and got a massage because I figured I should probably experience it before I know that I want to do it. And sure enough, like the one massage took like 50 pounds off my back. So much of my pain was just gone after that one treatment. So I was like, yeah, not only do I need this, but everyone needs this. And the next week I was signed up for school and that was it. That was kind of, yeah. It was just the amount of pain we hold in our bodies. 
Yeah, and how quickly it can be resolved, you know? So many people, including myself, think, oh, that's it. I mean, just have to live with this pain now until it, like, goes away on its own. But it doesn't have to be that way, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. You're in massage school and you're, you're loving what you're doing and you're learning everything you can. But probably massage school taught you a lot about your body and how it works and maintains in a theoretical and physical realm as well. I say this all the time. If you want to believe in miracles, study the human body. We are a miracle walking, you know? It's invaluable information because you're sitting there learning about the human body and you have a human body. You know, it's not like you're learning about something that's foreign to you. Like what you're learning about is happening inside you right there, which is unbelievable. And we also learned about pathology, which is like all the different kinds of uh, conditions and diseases. And I think that was really valuable as well, just to know how the body can break down and the problems that can come up from it but also what to do about it or what you can do about it. In massage therapy school, we had clinics. So like one clinic was with MS patients. Another one was with people who had severe disabilities and um, cerebral palsy, stuff like that. I had a clinic with people who were post-op, like uh, after surgery. There was a cancer clinic. There was a few different ones where you learn how to work with people who are kind of the more vulnerable and people who need more care and attention than your average person. So that was really valuable to be able to work with people like that. Because you, you, you can't just like walk down the street and, you know, meet somebody with cerebral palsy and be like, hey, how do I interact with you, you know? So, yeah, that was really invaluable. And of course, the skill of massage therapy, obviously. I think everybody should learn how to do a bit of massage therapy because it's a great skill to have, whether it's for your partner or if you're taking care of a sick parent or something like that. Even just massaging somebody's hands can make them feel so much better. Like most people don't know that. They don't realize that just like a little bit of touch can really turn a person's mood around and a person's day around. It can be very healing for them. So I don't know, even just the idea of consent and teaching people therapeutic touch. You know, a lot of people just kind of jump into bed together these days. But I think it would be really good if people learn the steps of intimacy and, you know, had a buffer between meeting someone and jumping into bed with them is like, you know, getting to know a person and like massage therapy or massage can be that buffer in between. So it has many different faces. Is that what you learned, the empathy of touch while becoming a massage therapist? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was already very sensitive to people. I would consider myself an empath and always have been, but it does definitely concentrate those skills and those abilities to really listen in to a person and give them the attention that they need and hearing what they want and what they don't want or like, you know, what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. Even just like when I was working with people with uh, cerebral palsy that they couldn't communicate, paying attention to body language and just their different kind of micro movements or expressions, really paying attention to that. uh, It's a very valuable skill. It teaches you a lot about interacting with people. When you know the subtleties of nonverbal communication, you can communicate with people a lot more effectively. How are you able to communicate with the world if you're empathic? Oh, I tell you, it's difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to know what's yours and what's somebody else's, you know, because you might be picking up on somebody's energy, whether they're feeling insecure or they're feeling angry or sad. 
you can pick up on that energy and think it's actually yours. A big part of learning empathy is learning that it's actually not yours and that it's coming from somebody else. And maybe that person needs something like maybe you can give some that person something to make them feel better. Really reading into what they might may not be saying. It's it's not an easy skill and it's definitely something that you have to work on. But it's, I think it's extremely valuable and I think more of the world should be educated on empathy and compassion than it is, you know. Yeah, we're all human beings. We're all empathic in some in some level. And I feel that you could sense something I'm sensing or I could sense something you're sensing. But is it mine? Is it yours? Or is, is the world? It's very hard to have that the energetic boundary of this is me and my skin in some way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like once you get to know energy and energy work, you know that you don't end here. It's, you're not your body. You are so much more than that. Uh, and your energy field can reach out so far if you... That's one thing people don't know is that they, if they're not controlling where their energy is, they could actually have a very big or like right up against them. But depending on how they're feeling, that energy can be radiating out as far as 50 feet away from them. You know, people need to take, learn how to take responsibility for their energy. And I think if we, even just that skill alone could make the world a much better place. Yeah. I, don't know, I feel like we're, we're getting very metaphysical. <laughs> I think, you know, these are the, the things that people aren't talking about. But yes, a lot of people I know that should be in very high places of high experience would be in, empathic in some way. And I feel that as human beings, you know, we may have a girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband. We're showing empathy to, to one another. So as human beings, we are emotional. But yes, I don't think we understand the whole energetic aspect of that emotional component. Absolutely not. I think if we did, we'd probably walk around smiling a lot more, smiling at people. Have you ever done that where you just like when you walk from point A to point B, every person you walk by make eye contact and smile at them? Have you ever done that? Yeah, it's cool. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. it, it is such an energy boost. By, like, when, by the time you get to wherever you're going, you are just flying high. Like you're just so full of good energy and you know that you've at least affected a few other people in that same way. You just touched on energy. You know, we have energy in our house. We turn our light, light bulbs on. Or you and I are talking through Zoom. But yes, spiritual energy, oh, that's voodoo or whatever. But actually, it's the same energy we use to turn on our lights or talk through our computers. Yeah, I mean, in a different form. But yes, absolutely. There's a lot to be said for learning just even the simplest form of energy work and just understanding how quickly your energy can change, how much your energy can affect somebody else. It's definitely something that we should have been taught as kids, you know. As a massage therapist and studying as a massage therapist, did you feel like I should learn this when I was younger, you know? Actually, I started with Reiki before I learned massage and it's actually a big part of why I went into massage therapy because I think if it wasn't for energy work, I wouldn't have had much interest in massage aside from the like pain point. But Reiki is something that not a lot of people knew about at the time. Even the people who did know about it didn't go out of their way for it. And so it was like, I, I really appreciate and enjoy Reiki, but I just don't see how I can make it viable career. 
and then massage gave Reiki or energy work that medium for me. You know, the person was coming to me for pain relief or relaxation, and they thought they were just getting in form of like physical relaxation, but it's actually, I was able to use the massage to express the Reiki energy healing and heal them on an energetic level as well, which like a lot of people think is hippy dippy, airy fairy, they don't believe in it. But uh, I think if they just have one Reiki experience, then they'll realize how profound it can actually be. Yeah, that was my introduction to massage therapy and all the other holistic therapies with Reiki. And I think it's the introduction for everyone. A lot of people I know say, oh yeah, I had Reiki first and then it turned into massage, cranial, acupuncture, etc. And I think, yeah. you know, like I just touch for energy and the way water flows is the way our energy flows. And I think that's why Reiki is such an introductory component to spirituality and holistic therapies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely. And, uh, you know, every therapy, the ones you mentioned, especially like they have a huge energetic component to them, like acupuncture, the traditional Chinese medicine system of looking at the body is way different from ours, but it's all about energy. It's all about balancing energy and like having energy flowing, like you said, kind of like water. They look at the meridian system like rivers and our blockages are like dams. And so it creates an excess on one side and a deficiency on the other side. And that's where, you know, people get out of alignment or out of balance. And acupuncture just works to clear those blockages and make sure the energy is flowing properly and keeps you balanced. Whereas most people just see it as, oh, somebody's sticking needles into me, you know? But once you understand the energy component, it's so much more magical and like incredible as a system. I get a lot of taxis around town to go to places I want to go and say, what do you do when I do this, this? And it's like, like, what's Reiki? And it's kind of like another version of, when I say pot or marijuana, but it's it's a clean, energetic <laughs> version, you know, <laughs> and spirituality. And it's like, you jump from this therapy to that therapy and you're looking for the next hook. But I feel like that's the way Reiki is. I don't know what your opinion is, you know? What's my opinion on Reiki kind of as a drug? I do think it is like the gateway to, to spirituality in some way. You lie down the plinth, you get this energy treatment and you're like, I want more, you know? It is absolutely a gateway. Yeah, you're totally right in that. And a lot of people are intimidated by it, which like, you know, as long as you're going to somebody who has certification and the experience with it, I don't think people need to be as concerned as they do because like the way I explain Reiki to people is... So we all have these energy centers, right? Let's focus on maybe the seven main ones. And you have to imagine these energy centers like bowls of water. Over time, these bowls of water are collecting dust and debris and becoming filthy. And like, that's kind of how most people walk around is with dirty bowls of water, like, you know, blocked energy centers. What Reiki does is it empties out the dirty water, cleans the bowl, and then pours in pure water, clean water. And then when you have all, all your energies, energy centers clean, like you can flow a lot better and like feel a lot better. It's a very simplified way of explaining it, but it's just, it's a way of kind of detoxifying the body that isn't so much physical. It's a lot more than physical, but it does have physical impacts, you know, like people can benefit from it in all kinds of ways physically but it's actually on a much more energetic and metaphysical level that the work is happening would you agree i would agree 100 percent. you know we know about quantum physics but i don't think we know a lot about metaphysics and i think yeah. metaphysics is actually a component of the human mechanics of anatomy of who we are in some way 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think it's an area that we definitely need to have more research on. What I don't appreciate is when you talk to a Western medicine type doctor and you bring up these things and they'll say, oh, well, there's not enough research on that. Okay, so let's put some funding in and research, no? Yeah, meditation has peace, calm, awareness, the same way our personal development is. If you look at them as a whole holistic picture, they're all this big spider web of the human anatomy. It's like the driver is driving the car. Who's the driver? Energy, you know? Right, yeah. And like, we don't know all the answers, obviously. There's still a lot of mystery behind all of it. I don't know. I think it's worth exploring. Yeah. You know? When did you move to Ireland? Two years ago, June 21st of 2018. And I have not looked back since. It is amazing here. And did you open up a massage clinic and everything here? Yeah, I have a, a massage therapy clinic called She Needs. She Needs is holistic massage, Reiki, reflexology for women of all ages and stages of life. And my other business is called Office Needs. We do corporate wellness. So I do chair massage. We have somebody who does guided meditation. We can bring in other alternative therapies like acupuncture or reflexology or Reiki. We also have services that are uh, more rooted in kind of not metaphysical. So like first aid training, manual handling, ergonomic assessments, uh, decluttering and organization. Yoga is another one that we do. So I have a very solid team of good people who uh, do all these things. What made you create this business? I just knowing the need for it. Like I've worked with office workers for the last five years and I know their aches and pains. Even just being an office worker myself at some point, like I know what it's like to have to sit at a desk all day and sit in, in meetings all day. Uh, it's not pleasant. And also like if somebody is working in an office or a big company, a lot of the time this company typically treats them like a number, you know, it's like, we'll take you until you burn out and then we'll just hire on somebody else. And it's not a great feeling knowing that your company doesn't care about you. So I'm offering with Office Needs, we're offering the opportunity for a company to show their employees that they actually care and that they want to retain their employees and they want their employees to be happy and feel valued. So if they brought in services like office needs once every three months or once every six months, then I think an employee would actually feel like they have a lot more actual real-time workplace benefit and that their company actually wants them to stick around and cares about them. Wow, excellent. You mentioned there a while back that you said that you didn't want to do any more office work. When did that decision come? It came when I was working in an office that... I really enjoyed every single person that was there. I had a really good relationship with everybody there. And I really didn't mind the environment, but I was still miserable. It was like, you know, the lighting and the answering the phones every day and stuff like that. Because like up until then, anytime I worked in an office, it was just like, oh, it's just so-and-so that is annoying or like, you know, brings drama into the office. And it's easy to blame other people. But with this office, I couldn't blame other people. So there was clearly something within myself that was still dissatisfied. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of why. You love doing holistic therapies and massage. Yeah, yeah, I do. Did you want to say more to that? Or, um, oh, I know, like, what's your passion around doing it? I get a real buzz off of somebody coming in in pain and not very happy and stressed out and then leaving like they're floating on a cloud. Knowing that I can do that is amazing. I feel like I'm magical, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
that's a big part of it is just helping people, freeing them from their pain, freeing them from their restrictions and their stress, if even for an hour or two. I think a lot of people do a lot of unhealthy things to distract themselves from their pain and their stress. And I want to be a healthy, a healthy resource or a healthy go-to for um, for people's problems, you know. Do you get satisfied when people come in with their pain and leave out on this this magic cloud of, of relief? Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't anybody, like, or was there, like, a sadist and want the opposite? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, like, when you open up a car, you can take the engine out, put a new engine in, tires. I wish the human body had that where you can just unclip a couple of clips, pop your shoulder out, polish it, grind it, and pop it back in, and there you go, you know? I was saying that just yesterday that I, I was like, I need a new back. After everything I've done to it, like, I just, I need a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. But, yeah. Yeah, whoever the inventor was made a couple of errors, and I when I go back up to whoever whoever the, the inventor is, like you need to do this, this, and this, this, you know. Yeah, this is where you screwed up, and this is where you can improve. Just so you know, here are my notes. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, like at the end of the day, the human body is the most beautiful piece of engineering you will ever see. Like no engineer will ever be able to accomplish something as complex and as perfect. Do you know what I mean? I, I totally agree, and like how the body is able to compromise if you like they have an injury in your foot but the other foot will take the, the pressure of the off the other foot to keep walking so yeah um it's a very complex but amazing machine even the foot itself the foot is a beautiful piece of engineering there are over i think it's 26 bones and 33 joints in the foot and it works kind of like a tripod there's like three points of pressure so the heel and then like the outside and the inside kind of ball of the foot and it's like weight bearing and like has a bit of like a a a shock to it uh it's the foot is incredible like i don't know it's amazing piece of engineering <laughs> you must all when you have someone on the, the on the bed and they say i have a quad problem you look at the quad and it's like okay this is what we're gonna do and then start digging away kind of like chiseling away all the, the gunk and everything that needed and then come out and it's like yeah this, this piece of meat that's a quad it's, it's amazing but yes it's so complex you know you know what's funny about the quad actually is that it's called the quadricep because it's known to have four muscle heads right yeah quad meaning four but uh, actually Actually, they did, I don't know how you would call it, like a study or uh, an, an experiment. I don't know. They did something where they dissected a certain number of cadavers and they actually found that the majority of the cadavers had five muscle heads instead of four. Wow. Yeah. So if you're really going to be naming it for how many muscle heads there are and you're looking at the majority, it should be called like the quintuscept or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you know like the body is so unique and we know like the alphabet of it but i don't think we understand the full potential the body has definitely not especially with the alternative therapies that they can unlock different areas and abilities in the body we don't even know the half of it you know and like you see it in professional athletes all the time like people think that like oh they're a particular breed of human that they can do that Nope, they were just like everybody else, but they pushed their body past the limits that they thought they had. 
you know, like there are people that can lift three times their body weight and like most people can't lift half their body weight, but it's all in how you decide to use this vehicle that you have and how far you want to push it. You know, even like with the triathlons, doing one sport is complicated enough. Doing three of them consecutively in a race, like that's probably would have been mind boggling at some point. But once you do it, you're like, oh yeah, no bother. I can do that again. I have an uncle who's who's totally blind and he's six foot three and he's a monster in the gym. Like he can leg press five hundred kg for like twenty reps and he's a mutt. He's a mutt. Like like his legs are like tree trunks. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And he uh, where he trained where he was training in Limerick, he was with the where the monster rugby team were training. And like I said, Stephen, like how could you train that amount? Like he broke every weight machine in the gym. Unbelievable. Yeah, and like he was lifting two three times the average weight than what the rugby players were lifting, and they said. They turned to him and said, if you could physically see, we'd love to have you in the front row. You just do serious savage. But the guy was just like, and they thought he was on steroids and everything. No, just pure water. But the, the human potential and power he could produce is just unreal, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, I'd love to see a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, people can really push themselves to some like Herculean type strengths, you know, just most people don't want to put in the work to get there. That's it. People think it's too hard. Yeah, they can't be bothered. Takes too much time. Even the people who do um, the steroids, like that's a, that's a cheat code. You know, it's not how they did it back in the Greek times or anything like that, you know. Jada, tell us about your Kickstarter project that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so uh, I wrote this book called Self-Care Solutions at Work. And it's really just inspired by working with people who have worked in offices and, you know, even people who work at home. But just people who sit in front of a computer every day or sit at a desk every day, even people who are on their feet all day. Um, it's inspired by them and their aches and pains that they think that they just have to live with. I want them to have a resource that they can access at any time to figure out how to take care of those aches and pains. So first I wrote the book and the book actually, I just finished it a couple days ago. What it came down to was a lot of people don't like to read. They actually prefer to see instructional videos. So the next kind of level up of this book is an online resource with all the same content. But up until now, I've paid for everything out of pocket. And this is my passion project. So I really want to see it come to fruition. But I'm, I'm really feeling the pinch now and I kind of do need to reach out for help. And so that's why I created the Kickstarter was to be able to raise the funds that I need to create this project to help the entire working world and more. Even if people aren't working, they can still benefit from it. But those are the people I focused on because, you know, they are the backbone of society. I especially love helping people who help other people, you know, like nurses and personal care workers and stuff like that, that, you know, they're lifting people every day and they're catering to people's every need. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they're depleted of energy and maybe their mental health isn't great. So I cover everything from like, you know, tension headaches to foot pain, like head to toe, but then also a lot of mental health stuff we cover as well. And the Kickstarter is to help me pay for the videography for the course or the online resource for the marketing, the editing, the sales, the website, all these things cost a lot of money. So if I'm doing it on my own, it's probably going to take me the next five or 10 years, but I want to get this resource out there as soon as I can. So yeah, that's kind of why I'm doing it. What is the goal you like to see in the world just to be fish happy, not pain free? 
The goal is to create um, a stronger awareness and a culture around self-care. A lot of people kind of scoff at the idea of self-care. It's just kind of a buzzword, but it shouldn't be. You know, we should be taught how to take care of ourselves. We should be taught that if we have low back pain, it's probably not just the low back. It's probably a few other areas that are leading to that low back pain. Yeah, the goal is to educate and empower people that they don't feel like they have to go to somebody outside of themselves, that they can do a lot of it themselves. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, that's all they need is to do a few stretches regularly and that pain will go away. And if that's not enough, then hopefully they'll then know that, okay, now I really do need to go see someone. And, you know, we're kind of programmed to think, oh, I have to go see a doctor. But a doctor won't help you with your back pain. Like they'll give you some painkillers to mask the issue or they'll offer to cut you open if they think it's like, you know, a nerve issue or something. But they won't say to you, oh, just like, you know, get a massage or, you know, go see an acupuncturist. Unless they're a very forward thinking modern doctor, they just want you to buy some pills and come back to them for more pills later. And I want to change that model. I want to create a paradigm shift in the world when it comes to healthcare. So that's the goal. Yeah, we're, we're like you're masking the pain with either emotional, physical, mental, psychological or spiritual pain with drugs and problems never fix and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it caused to a point where it's either surgery or death. You know? Yeah. And like a lot of the time, the drugs that they give you end up causing so many more problems down the line. You know, they just like I, I feel kind of... <sighs> I don't know. I feel like a bit of a protester in saying this, but like they just want you to be sick. You know, they want you to keep being that customer that comes back. They don't want you to get better because that means they're losing money. So alternative therapy is the way to go. I'm not saying people even have to come to me. I'm happy to have a consultation with someone, find out what their pains are and then tell them what kind of therapist they need to talk to. Because a lot of people just go in circles, not knowing where to go, who to talk to, and just continue to take anti-inflammatories, which are damaging their liver and causing all kinds of problems. What are the common issues you see when people come to you? I would say mostly upper back and neck kind of tension, back stuff across the board, low back, upper back mainly. A lot of it has to do with posture. A lot of it has to do with just kind of like wear and tear of every, everyday repetitive strains that people aren't mindful of. I see it especially, let's say, in parents with young kids that, you know, they're constantly picking up their kids, putting their kids down, and they're probably picking up their kids for far too long. Like, I know I have some clients that, you know, they have a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, they're still picking them up. And it's like, you're causing yourself this pain, you know, at some point you have to stop picking them up. Even for office workers, it's that kind of constant position that they're sitting in, that their hip flexors become shortened, their pec muscles are tight, and it kind of shortened position on the front creates a strained a strain on the back. So yeah, those are the most common things. And then stress. Stress is one of those things that will find your weakest link and manifest there. So it can be a silent killer. And so people really need to learn how to deal with their stress and know what healthy stress is and, and unhealthy stress and have the tools to, to cope with their stresses. So that, that's kind of, that's what I see for the most part. It's interesting how back, lower back, hips, it's like this pulley system. One, one is out, they all go out, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just one complex. It's it's a big domino system, you know? When one thing goes out, all kinds of other things go out. So it's all about being proactive and not reactive. I totally agree. And the likes of foam rolling, would you, would you be interested in it or what's your opinion on it? 
Personally, the foam roller is the devil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is so painful. I know it helps people. I know I've been helped by the foam roller. I just don't go out of my way for it. I recommend it to people who don't have the time or the desire to stretch because it is more of a passive way of stretching. If somebody is going to foam roll, what I would recommend is having a one-on-one -on -one session with a personal trainer or physiotherapist so that they're taught how to properly foam roll. Definitely. How can you write or read if you don't know the ABCs? Yeah, exactly. So one thing I will say, because there's a lot of uh, mixed opinions on this, but I will tell you mine. With a foam roller, do not foam roll your IT band. Like that's the outside of your leg. That is not muscle. That is a, a different kind of tissue and it is not meant to stretch. Its job is to hold you up against gravity. And if you foam roll that while you're young, you have the muscles to support you and keep you up. But as you get older and the muscles atrophy, if your IT band has been stretched out, it's going to have a much harder time holding you up against gravity. So don't foam roll the IT band. If the IT band feels tight, foam roll or massage the TFL muscle, tensor fascia lata. It's kind of like where your pocket would be in a pair of pants. That muscle there tightens the IT band. So if you feel like you have tight IT bands, definitely work in on the TFL not the IT band itself awesome I totally agree it's tissue not, not muscle but people think ah oh, it's a muscle but it, it's not I meet a lot of athletes and know a lot of friends are athletes and I always recommend baths do you what do you feel about baths baths yeah all for them if I had a bathtub I'd take plenty of them yeah Epsom salts are magic contrast hydro or if you're going to do the cold baths like the cryotherapy be careful you know but it actually does work wonders so go for it if you feel like you're strong enough for it I have nothing bad to say about baths <laughs> yeah take one every day if you want like go for it <laughs> yeah I don't know Cool. So where can we find you? You can find me on the World Wide Web. You can go to my website, which is uh, www.officeneeds.ie. That's O-F-F-I-C-E-K-N-E-A-D-S, like needs, office needs. Or my email is info at officeneeds.ie. You can also just like find me on Facebook as Jada Lebrec. Like my name is there. You can probably even tag me in this when you post it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and it's been a pleasure and a joy having you on. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.